Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have any believers in the house? Amen. Stand with me this morning. So good to see you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I, I stepped up here in the early service and Pastor Matt said you act like you had something to say this morning. So let, let's see if that's really true. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to be here today. Let your word do the work that your word does. Open up our hearts to receive it. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, about two weeks ago, we went to Riley's ball game, and you know, the ball game that you have for a four and five year old T ball is very exciting. Nobody knows who won at the end of the game, but the big, the big deal is snacks at the end. So uh, Matt and Stephanie and Hartley came over to watch Riley play. And so while we were there playing with the grandkids, I, I noticed about 15, 20 minutes later that Hartley had a T-shirt on that said Big Sister. And so I thought, well, uh, Big Sister. And I looked over at Matt and Stephanie, and they looked at me and just smiled like, when's Papa going to figure that out? Duh. So we're, we're going to have our sixth grandchild. And some of you already know that. So we're going to have our sixth grandchild. And so uh, Matt and Stephanie, you know, showed us the picture of the sonogram. How many of you ever seen one of those sonogram pictures? So they said we, we showed, now Hartley's only a little over two years old, said we, we showed Hartley the sonogram picture and said, you know, we're going to have a baby, you're, you're going to have a little brother, a little sister, you know, what do you think about that? And this was her response, scary monster. <laughs> <laughs> and Carrie said, you need to write that down so later you can say your first reaction to your sibling was, hey, a scary monster. But, you know, one of the things that, that we know is that, you know, as the family grows, there needs to be a seat for the family. And we, we've had to do that at our house. You know, we, we, um, we bought a bigger table, more chairs. The more they come, you know, you have a place for people to sit. And we're on a series called Save a Seat. And many years ago, I went to Tulsa to preach at a church, probably the largest church in Tulsa, about 10,000 members. And I went there that morning and the head usher greeted me and said, so you're our speaker today. And I said, yes, I am. And so he brought me in and kind of briefed me and set me down at the front where I should be sitting. And I sat there waiting for service to start. And another usher came by and said, what are you doing sitting there? I said, I don't know. And he said, you can't sit there. I said, okay. So I get up and I moved out, you know, moved out to a seat. And I noticed later the head usher who had seated me went by where he had seated me and I wasn't there and he starts looking for me. And this is a big place. And he finds me and, and he goes over. He said, what are you doing sitting here? And I said, well, that other usher told me I couldn't sit over there. That's a reserve for, you know, important people. He said, you better get back over there and sit down or I'm going to get in trouble. But what was funny, when I got up to speak that morning, I, I looked over at the usher who told me I couldn't sit there and he looked at me and he went, no big deal. But God has a place at his table for everybody. And that's the good news, isn't it? So we are coming to the table and we're coming to God's table. And through this month, we're going to talk about 
your position and where you're seated at the table. First Samuel, if you have your Bible or look at the screens, uh, we're, we're going to go to chapter 20. And I can tell you in 46 years of preaching, I've never preached on this verse. So you're the guinea pig today. But I also know the first time in the King James Version of the Bible where seat is translated into our language. Do you know where, where it is? Uh, I'll tell you at the end of the sermon. So cliffhanger. But in 1 Samuel 20, we have this recorded. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Everybody's seated, but David is not there. His seat is empty. And the question is, why? So here we have around the table the most powerful people politically and militarily in all of Israel. King Saul, the next supposed to be king, Jonathan, and Abner, who is over the military. But David is not at that table. He's not sitting in that seat. Well, the reason is Saul's got some huge problems. Anybody ever had problems? And if we took Saul and sent him to a mental health expert for evaluation, the results might be he is paranoid and has manic depression or he is bipolar. However, this is a spiritual issue. You see, when you reject God's commandment and you don't walk in the way of God and you're not doing what God wants you to do, how many of you know you could have some problems? And that's exactly what is happening to Saul in this passage and with the rest of his life. Because Saul resents David. Listen, remember back in chapter 17, David is the giant killer. He goes out and he, he kills Goliath. No one in the army would go. No one faced the giant. And, you know, for, for days and days and days, he made his bows. He, he gave the challenge. Saul, who is the biggest guy in Israel, did not face the giant. But here is a teenage boy, small, shepherd boy, just visiting, not old enough to be in the army. But he goes out and he defeats Goliath. So Saul, in some way, I'm sure resents that. And he's also jealous of David. You see, Saul has a little tune that he hears sung in Israel. It's a little ditty the women sing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, he has slain his tens of thousands. And let me tell you, every time that plays on YouTube, Saul really has a problem with that. So not only is he resenting David, he's jealous of David, and he's also full of malice to David. And I'll tell you why. Twice, he's already tried to kill David with the javelin and pin him to the wall. How many of you know that's not a good thing if you're in the king's presence? So this is the condition. This is the, the mindset of Saul. So here Saul is. He is having some real misgivings in his life. By chapter 18, three times it says Saul is afraid of David. By chapter 19, Saul encourages Jonathan, his son, and the household of servants to kill David. Saul is having a huge, huge issue with David. Now, has David done some things wrong? Not at this point. He really hasn't. So this is what we know that David's position and his mindset could be. David may be thinking he should be sitting in Saul's seat. And let me tell you why. 
go back to chapter 16, David may have said this, haven't I already been anointed? Did not Samuel the prophet come to Bethlehem and come to our house, had my brothers pass by, but God's hand was not on my brothers. Matter of fact, they called me in from the pasture from keeping sheep, and God said, that's my new king, and Samuel lifted the horn of old and poured it on the head of David, the young man, and David could say, listen, I should be on the throne. I'm the one who should be at the table. I'm the one who should own the table. But there was no seat that David could occupy. You know, it's interesting that uh, God works in our life in different ways. How many of you found that? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's just so above us. So I, I want to just share a couple of things how God works in our life. Number one, God prepares us for position. God prepares us for position. So 16 years ago, it is uh, February 2007, the Indianapolis Colts are in the Super Bowl with the uh, Chicago Bears. Indianapolis wins 29 to 17. And uh, you may not know what the winning quarterback did to prepare for the game. So the winning quarterback is Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning has spent most of his time in the NFL at this time playing in a dome stadium. But the NFL and the Super Bowl that year has chosen Miami, Florida. It's called Hard Rock Stadium now. It was called uh, the, the Dolphin Stadium. And the Dolphin Stadium, did had, it had no roof over it. So it's in February in Miami, Florida. How many of you know it rains in Florida? So Peyton Manning, in preparation, had his center soak the footballs in water so he could snap a wet football to him and throw passes with wet footballs. So in preparation of the Super Bowl, he threw wet footballs. And matter of fact, guess what happened during the Super Bowl? It rained. But guess what? Peyton was already prepared, wasn't he? He, he, he was used to you know, throwing wet footballs. You know, God prepares you and I. And he gets us in the right position. He, he, he takes some really advantage of us, if you will, to prepare for us. And, you know, I, I, I think David may be confused of what God is doing. But God has a track record, clear track record of preparing us. And we find it in Scripture. So maybe God is saying to David these words. David, before you reign, I'm going to tweak you, teach you, expose you to your seat before you take it. Or I want you to learn what to do and what not to do. And God is saying, I prepare people for position. And that's true. I mean, companies do it, businesses do it, uh, universities do it. We prepare people for position. My dad was in the early service, and I can tell you, my dad prepared me for adulthood, starting at about 10. It's really true. I mean, I've worked like a man most of my life. Uh, by the time I was 13, 14, Steve's here, he knows this. I was driving bulldozers, and, you know, we were doing all kinds of stuff. But that's a good thing, right? We, we need to be prepared for position. God is preparing us. We tried to do that with our own boys. Uh, during the drought many years ago, we had a 1,000-gallon water tank on a, on a trailer. It had those big balloon tires on it. And I had Aaron out watering cattle. Some places the water ran out, and Aaron was running that trailer. And I don't know if he hit a big chug hole or whatever. He calls me on the phone. He said, Dad, I've blown both tires out on one side of the trailer. What do I do? And I said, well, 
You know, if you can, get the jack out and, you know, jack up the trailer, take the tires off, take it to the tire place. If we need new tires, uh, get new tires. If they can fix them, let them fix them. And about 15 minutes later, guess who calls me? Carrie. And she said, did you know that Aaron blew both tires out on that trailer? What are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do nothing. I said, let's see if he can do it himself. And guess what? He, he, he jacked it up. He got the tires off. He went out and got new tires, put it on, went on his way. He was really proud of himself that he could do that. And then their mother, as they got older in high school, you need to call the doctor and make your own appointments. You, you need to do all this. You, know, you need to learn how to do this. You, you need to learn how to do the banking. You because in a few months, you're going to be gone. We're not going to be there. So guess what? We prepare our kids. My parents prepared me. I believe we have a heavenly father that prepares his kids. What, what do you think? And, and so that's what God is doing, I think, to David. And not just to David. I think he does that for all of us. Because God doesn't want a bunch of wimpy, spoiled kids. Okay, move on, preacher. You see, when an unprepared person sits in the seat of an important position, it hardly ever works out. Hardly ever works out. Second Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church, chapter 5, verse 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Here's a different translation. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. What's Paul saying? God is preparing you for your purpose. God's fashioning us for our purpose. So we have a God that loves us so much that he is preparing us. Listen, young people, he's preparing you for your next event, your next chapter, the next thing he's going to use you for. And sometimes we, we say, well, you know, I just don't know how he's preparing me. Well, Maybe he's saying to David, David, sit under a weak leader so you can be a strong leader. David, expose yourself to the pressure of sitting on the throne before you sit in that seat. Watch, listen, evaluate, and learn some things. How many of you know you can learn how to do some things right? And if you watch enough people, you can learn how to do some things wrong and don't do those things, right? You know, someone says, well, the best experience is, you know, just, you know, your own failure. You know, the best experience is somebody else's failure. You just don't do it. Can I hear an amen to that? So here he is taking David, if you will, through some very tough times. Now, the second thing that God does, not only does he prepare us, but God toughens us up. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm old, but... I meet some of these young guys. I don't know about them. They've stayed playing games in the basement too long. They don't know how to handle adversity. I could arm wrestle 99% of them and beat them at over 70. You know, I think God's raising up some men and some warriors. And I believe he's doing that right here. Don't you? I believe he's preparing and toughening up some people for what's going to come in the future. I believe he's getting us ready, not only just to live our life, but to live our life abundantly. 
and to impact the world around us. So what I think God is doing is he's saying, okay, David, I know your call. You're a, a man after my own heart. You've already been anointed, but I'm going to prepare you, and I'm going to toughen you up so that you can do what I've called you to do. Now, John Eldridge, this is an amazing story in his book, The Secret Romance, tells of a Scottish young man back in the 1800s who loved sports. And most of the time, he could just read about them in the newspaper or in magazines because he lives up in the Highlands. So he decided he wanted to be a discus thrower. Discus. So he didn't know anything about, you know, throwing the discus. So what he did, he went out and had a metal discus made. All metal. He didn't know a regulation discus is made out of wood with a steel band around it. So he marked off the world record. And for one year, he threw this heavy metal discus till he could reach that mark. That's all he knew. And then he went from the Highlands down to England into Britain for a competition. They handed him a real discus that's made out of wood with a steel band bound around it. He broke every record. For years, he broke the record. Why? This guy's been throwing a heavy discus for a year. How many of you know he was toughened up? You see, sometimes God toughens us up so when we get in the arena of life, when we get in that moment, you're ready. God's already done a work in your life. He's prepared you. He's kind of got a tough skin around you. Let me tell you, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a leader, you need some tough skin. Because it's not going to be long, you're going to be challenged. You know, we, we have to face some challenges and some adversity in our life. And sometimes we need to know what it's like to be lied to, to be betrayed, to feel the pressure before we sit in that seat. And if we do, then God is preparing us. He's toughening us up. And, and when I, I thought about this last night, isn't this reminiscent of the story of Joseph? I mean, Joseph... Joseph, who's betrayed by his brothers, who is sold into slavery, who is accused of rape and thrown into prison, forgotten by his peers, do you think Joseph says, God, is this the way you treat your friends? I'd hate to be one of the enemies. But it's reminiscent of how Joseph came up. You see, all those things that happened to Joseph prepared him for something in the future. You see, Joseph went from the pit to the palace, and there's a lot of things that happened in between there. And what God is doing is saying, Joseph, I'm preparing you, I'm toughening you up, because one day you're gonna sit in the seat of the prime minister of Egypt, the greatest dynasty known in that world, and you're gonna lead, and how many of you know, he led magnificently. He saved two nations that we know of. He saved Egypt and he saved Israel. But God prepared him for that seat and for that position. And God is doing the same to you and I. You see, sometimes when we gather like this on a Sunday morning, you may have these thoughts go through your mind. They've gone through mine before. God, what are you doing in my life? Why am I here? Why am I having this difficulty? Why am I having this health issue? You know, God, why am I having this issue with my family? Why is my finances tough? Why is the job, you know, really, really in pain 
and question what, what's going to happen. And, and let me tell you what may be happening. God's kind of toughening you up. He, he's putting you through your paces. He's showing you how awesome he is and that you need him. How many of you know you can't do this on your own? I can't do this on my own. So why is this happening? Or why is this taking so long? Have you ever said that? You know, God's timing certainly is not our timing. And, and, and I think sometimes, you know, when God prepares us and toughens us for our assignment, uh, we, we have in our mind the timing. God has a different timing. And sometimes it's never the same, is it? In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing, the older Paul is writing to a young man called Timothy, chapter 2, verse 12. He said, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Now, I like the last part, don't you? I like the reigning part. Hey, we're going to reign with Christ. No, no, listen. If we suffer with him, we shall also what? Reign with him. So before, before the crown is the cross. Before the crown is the cross. And so there's some suffering that Jesus went through before he wore the crown. So I think, you know, King Saul is putting David into harm's way and into jeopardy and conflict over and over again. Matter of fact, most of you know when he killed the giant, one of the rewards of killing the giant was that you got to marry the king's daughter. And the custom was you got the oldest daughter, the one that's ready, and you, know, you, you marry the older one before the younger one. And right before the wedding, Saul told uh, David, you got to pay me a dowry to marry my daughter. And here's the dowry. I want you to bring me a hundred body parts of Philistines that they don't give up easy. I want you to bring, I won't comment anymore on that, but uh, I want you to bring me a hundred body parts of Philistines that they don't give up easy, and that's going to be your dowry. You know what David did? He went out and got 200 and brought back to Saul. He did above and beyond. You think, boy, he's doing good, isn't he? Now Saul, Mayrab, the daughter that he thought he was going to get, Saul married her to somebody else. And he didn't get that daughter. Matter of fact, Michal was the younger daughter. That's who Saul had to marry David. And she was the youngest spoilt valley girl. But if you read it, now this is biblical, Saul thought that that daughter would trip David up. I'm going to marry her to him because I don't like him. I'm going to give him somebody that's going to be a thorn in his side for a long time. But she loved David. Let me tell you, that's betrayal, isn't it? That's lie. David is going through chapter after chapter, event after event, tough things after tough things. So when that happens... David could be so confused, and I want to shift gears and tell you that the enemy works in our life also. Let, let me give you two ways the enemy works in our life. The enemy wants for you to give up and give in. Say that with me. The enemy wants you to give up and give in. How many of you know so many times in our life there is that feeling, I should just give up. I should just give in. Why go through this? Why keep pushing? Why keep pressing? Why keep trying? I'll tell you why. Because God's got something good for you. God has a purpose for your life. So the enemy wants you to give up. He wants you to give in. And certainly David could have said, hey, I've had enough of this. I'm gone. He could have had his own following. Certainly he did. 
but he did. Here's the second thing. The enemy wants us to react in the wrong way. He wants us to react in the wrong way. Have you ever heard this term, somebody just blew up? Y'all are so holy this morning. Oh, yeah, I know some people, when they get stressed or it doesn't go their way or, you know, it becomes hard, they just what? Blow up. We usually don't want to be around things that blow up, right? And so what do we do? We separate from those people. We, we, we segregate, segregate from those people. We, we, we get away from them. Now, the enemy wants you to give up, give in. He wants you to respond in the wrong way. But I want you to see something. This is in chapter 18. Three times it's recorded in your Bible that David behaved himself wisely. Say that with me. David behaved himself wisely. Through all of this mess, David, at this point, didn't do anything wrong. If you will keep your cool, if you will not give up, if you will not give in, guess what's going to happen? God's going to get you through. He's going to get you in the right position. He's preparing you, getting you tough for what he has for you. Psalm chapter 23, most of you, you know that Psalm. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. David wrote that Psalm, and how many of you know, he had every right and every emotion and every feeling about writing, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. They don't let me sit at that table, but God, you've prepared me a table that you want me to sit at your table. How many of you are glad God wants you at his table? And he really does, doesn't he? You know, Paul writes that we're saved by grace through faith. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and 6, he says, Christ has raised us up together and seated us with him in heavenly places seated us with him in heavenly places. He didn't say he would do that or he's going to do that. In the spirit right now, you are seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. You know, when we come in here like this morning and we worship, guess what? I feel like I'm seated in heavenly places. When we hear the word, which is the bread of God, we're at the table. What's God doing? He's serving food at his table. He's serving the bread at his table. So what, what happens? It's not just when we get to heaven. It's right now. How many of you know you can be seated at the table of God right now today? Does everybody here have a pecking order at your dinner table? You're smiling at me. Most people do. See, when the boys were at home, I sat at the head of the table. I'm the alpha male, so I sat at the head of the table. So Carrie sat at my right, Aaron sat at my left, and Matt sat on the other side of his mother. And for years, when we went to the table, that's just the way that we sat. Uh, do you have a certain way that your family sits at the table? I bet you do. And, and even when, you know, family events happen, you probably have a way to be seated, and somebody gets in your seat, you're probably not happy. <laughs> kind of like church, right? <laughs> because we all, we all have a tendency. We, we sat kind of at the same place, don't we? Because we, we have positions, we have seating, we, we, we sit there. And this is what Paul is saying. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. 
Can I answer the, the question and the comment I made at the beginning? Where is the first time in the King James Bible the word seat ever appears? It's when we're introduced to this place called the mercy seat. It's the first time in the English translation that we have the word seat. Well, what is that, Pastor? What is the mercy seat? Well, uh, if you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, you kind of get a picture of it. But it, it, it is the Ark of the Covenant. And on one end, there is the cherubim with the wings stretched out. On the other side, there's another cherubim, and their wings kind of touch in the middle. And that area in, in the center between the wings of the cherubim, that's called the mercy seat. Now, what, what is in the ark? Well, there's a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the commandments are in there. And every time God looks between the wings of the cherubim, he can see the commandments. This is my word. Don't break those. And I want to tell you, every one of us in here have disappointed God at one time or another. There are none righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. Once a year, that high priest would go in with a basin of blood from the sacrifice and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it over the mercy seat. And the next year he would go in for the people and he would sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat. And when God looked down from heaven, he wouldn't look down through the lid of the ark to see the commandments they'd broken. He would see the blood that was sprinkled on the lid of the mercy seat. You know what the Bible says? That Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, and once and for all, he took a basin of his own blood and went and sprinkled on the mercy seat so God cannot see our sins any longer. That's good news. By grace, we're saved through faith. How many of you want to have a place at the mercy seat? How many of you want to be seated with Christ in heavenly places? Yeah, I do. You know, the Lord is actually inviting us to his table. You know, he gave several parables, you know, uh, uh, a king or a noble one, you know, ha had a feast had a banquet. Guess what he did? He sent invitations out to everybody. Come to my feast. Some people made excuses. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can make an excuse today. Well, I'm not ready. What will they think about me? I'll be standing at the front, or uh, I may weep, I may cry. Hey, those are all excuses, and none of them are valid. But the God of the universe is inviting you and I to come to his table and be a part of what he's doing. You know, there's an old hymn we used to sing, and some of you know it. Come and dine, the master calleth. Anybody remember that old hymn? Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. And that's actually in the Bible. That there is going to be one day, he said, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said that we are going to get to be seated with Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there what's going to happen? We're going to gather together, and we're going to feast with the Lord Jesus Christ. God has a place at his table for you and me. God has a place at his table for you and I. And guess what? 
I bet you it's better than McDonald's. I bet it's better than rib crib. I bet it's better than Subway. Can you imagine sitting at the table with Christ in heavenly places and being with Him? You say, well, Pastor Mike, I've gone through some sickness. I've been through some difficult things. I've been through some trials and tests. You know, God, how long? What are you doing? What should I do? Let me tell you what to do. You need to trust him today. You need to give your life to him today. Quit fighting it. Just come and say, Lord, I'm yours. Let me have a seat at your table. And this is going to be a good thing. Have me know that's so true. Would you bow your head with me right now? Before we dismiss, we're going to ask a couple of questions. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I want you to think how awesome it would be for you to give your life to Him and have abundant life and just surrender to Him. And if you've never done that, or if you've drifted away, if you say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I did know the Lord. I used to go to church, but not so much today. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you right where you, you're seated, would, would you just lift your hand and say, Brother Mike, I want to get my life right with the Lord. Thank you. Somebody else, I know it takes years. Thank you. I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Now, here's the next question I want to ask you. In your life, in your journey right now, maybe you're feeling like King David. Lord, I, I, I thought I was in the right. I thought I was on track. I thought I was doing what... You wanted me to do, but this seems really hard right now. I've gone through a lot of stuff. Lord, it seems like my timing might be off. And I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that we can be saved. We can be a child of God just like David and still go through some really tough times in our life. How many of you have ever felt that way? If that's you today, I want to pray for you. Lift your hand up and say, Lord, I'm going through some stuff. I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. If that's you, lift your hand with mine. I got mine up. Listen, I've gone through some times in my life. I said, Lord, what in the world's going on with me? But you know what? He's faithful. He's faithful. Father, I pray today that you'd bless your people. You would use them for your strength and your glory. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our prayer people to come up. We're, we're going to dismiss in prayer. If you, if you need prayer today, if you want to accept the Lord as your Savior, if you want to rededicate your life, if you're sick in body, want somebody to pray with you, I would suggest right now that you make plans to come up here. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Just say, hey, would you pray with me over this? A child, a grandchild, a husband, a wife, a job, whatever it is. Stand with me all over the house. If you would like to come right now to pray, would you come and stand here? We're going to pray. We're going to dismiss. For some reason, it feels like 1 o'clock. But let me tell you, let's take a moment to pray. People are coming right now. Let's give them a hand as they come. Come on, church. If you need to come, we're going to wait for you. We, we want to pray for you today before we leave, that God would strengthen you. He'd lead you. He'd guide you. How many of you know he's got a seat at his table for you?
He's got a special place for you. You're going to wait just for a moment. If you want to pray with us, come on up. We're going to wait. Somebody can pray with you. People are still coming. Now, church, let, let's pray together. Let's pray that God would just give us the strength to go on. He would direct us. He would prepare us. He would toughen us up to do his will. Let's pray together. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you. God, we pray for every person who's come forward today. God, help them, lead them, guide them. God, hear their prayer, and we know you will. Now, Lord, today, as you move in us and among us and through us, we glorify you today. We magnify you because you are our God. You're the mighty God. You're the thrice holy God. Lord, let people's hearts be lifted up. Let them be encouraged today. And God, we give you praise and thanks in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.